0: Good morning. This morning I want to share with you uh, thoughts about uh, revival in America, revival in the world, revival that is coming uh, to us. One of the books that uh, I want to suggest to you is called uh, The Supernatural Thread, In Methodism by Dr. Frank Billman. He mentions that Frank's MacNacht mentions D'Ortega in the year 315 to 387. Speaking of people having prophetic words operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In the 4th century he mentions the desert monks. And of course he names Anthony as the father of Egyptian monasticism, operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're talking about 400 years after Christ. And so, in order to speak about revival in America, I want to take a look at about five centuries or so and look at specific people that have in a way influenced uh, the world of revival. In the 15th century uh one name comes in, 1517, that you have to pay attention. And the name of it is Martin Luther, professor of moral theology at the University of Wittenberg. He, he developed 95 theses of faith, and he posted them in the, at the door of All Saints Church in Germany, in Wittenberg. And, of course, uh, his main fact here was actually having to do with uh, salvation by faith alone. And the reason why he mentions salvation by faith alone is that people were buying indulgences. Priests were buying, selling indulgences. What is an indulgency? It It is a clear path from a priest to a parishioner. And simply to let him know that he is not going to be charged with those sins when he goes into eternity. And the idea was to reduce punishment in afterlife. So what kind of authority does a priest have to, to, to sell a piece of paper to someone to reduce the punishment after life? Uh, and so Luther, was, uh, <laughs> Luther wrote more about salvation. By the way, indulgences are still sold in Brazil. I know you're going to be surprised at this, but, uh, but that, that's still going on in Brazil. So Luther argues that indulgences minimize repentance in your personal life. Meaning, if you can get away with a letter from a priest for about $100 to forgive all your sins, you don't have no reason to repent. And repentance is a number one factor and revival throughout the world. Let's take a look. In the 1700s, revival broke throughout the world. In Scotland, in Oxford, Aust- Aust- and the, the, the primed factor that caused revival in in, in in Scotland was missionaries. Small mission teams going from town to town, and, and, and that caused the revival in the 17th century. In the 18th century which is, according if you ever studied philosophy, is the age of enlightenment. And it is very simple. It is it's not complicated. It is romantics versus rationalists. It is intellect versus passion. Imagine who won. Passion. Why? Because revival broke <laughs> with John Wesley as as the Holy Spirit in John Wesley convicted people of sin. And, and of course, in the 18th century, there are people that uh, it stands out. Every every revival there's a group of people who stands out: John Wesley, George Whitfield uh, in England, David Rolland, and Howard Davis Harris. How, Howard Harris is quite something to listen to his accounts in Wales. The Great Awakening prior to the Revolution in America. So imagine a revival in Wales begins to affect the political mind in America in terms of slavery. Think, think about that. I'm talking about the eighteenth century. In Scotland, revival broke through and souls began to be saved. And it, it was a part of a uh, a, a town uh, in Scotland called Camberslang. Now Camberslang was a it started with two priests, two preachers, uh fighting to get the position. And of course, uh Macaulay, uh, uh was a, <laughs> was one of them. And he couldn't preach worth a flip. <laughs> McCollum was not really a good preacher at all. But somehow God began to convict McCollum that in order to have revival, you need to be regenerated, you need to repent, and you need to be changed. It's impossible to have revival when the people of God don't want any change. And so that calls for the for the first great Awakening. There were three awakenings in the world, and this one is 1730 to 1750, and uh, and of course uh, it deeply affected the national conscience in America. People begin to be to be moved by God, and, and and let me say this to you: it's kind of interesting that the borders of Mexico are wide open now for anybody to come in, and that's and that's really. Uh, the, the Democratic Party uh, concerned about being fair to uh, uh, to the Cuban Mexicans that are impoverished, and uh, and uh, you probably say, is that a move of the spirit? Not really. It's a, it's a actually <laughs> a political move. But when you begin to look at uh, at America at this moment right now, you see there is awakening. And it's all over the world, all over all over America. There are more young people worshiping the Lord today than never before. If you look at that aspect and see what we see from a perspective of evangelists, it's amazing what's happened in America. It's almost every day. And so, and so, what brought in the first awakening in America uh, in the in the early 1800s was spiritual guilt, shame of slavery, ignited by feelings against the status quo. And of course, that began to change. And one of the denominations that seemed to be more impacted than anybody else was, again, again, Methodism. Evangelical revivals broke out in among the Congregationalists, among Presbyterians, among the Dutch Reformed, the Baptist, the Methodist, and now we come to the nineteenth century. Revival was based on In Britain, revival was based into the Bible, the cross, the work of the Spirit, the gifts operating in the person of John Wesley. Australia, Methodism grew and developed to grew 72% between 1857 to 1864. The the men involved were R.A. Torrey, J. Chapman, Charles Alexander. In Scandinavia, small groups. And fired by home meetings began to change Scandinavia and the revival. In America, in the second great awakening, begun in the 1800s to 1850, Charles Finney, you remember, Peter Cartwright, James Finney. Uh, Charles Finney was 1792 to 1875. They were the key leaders of this second awakening. And uh, what did you see in those meetings? Again, repentance change. The mindset was the ministry of Charles. If you define Charles Finney, was submission to God's will. Between 1850 to 1900, the third great awakening came from Canada throughout the world. Dwight L. Moody, you remember the name William Booth, which is the founder of, uh, of uh, Salvation Army. Charles Spurgeon, you hear about that name. It was the birth of holiness movement toward Christian perfection. Again, Christian perfection is a basic theology of John Wesley, which involves the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. And today we are uh, Methodists, and we're dividing ourselves because we have decided that the only way that we can actually uh, get along is if we open the door to those that have uh, special needs in the sexual area. But you see, we don't speak about conviction. We don't speak about repentance of sin. We are justifying sin, and we're simply saying that uh, you don't have to really confess your sin to come to Christ. You, uh, there's no sin in your life. And so I don't know what to tell you here, but I want to give you an interesting story about a man called Jeremiah Lempier. And uh, it was in the, in, the, in the 1900s, early 1900s in New York City. He was a businessman and he conducted a series of Bible studies and prayer meetings in, uh, in New York. And 6,000 people would come t- to these Bible studies in New York. Uh, uh, it simply said there were 800,000 new converts. Charles, Charles Finney substantiates this uh, about the revival in New York. He says, this winter, 1857 to 1859, will be remembered at a time when the great revival prevailed. It swept across the land with such power that at the time it was estimated that not less than 50,000 conversions occurred weekly. So see, this is just yesterday, 1900s. We're at 2021. So I'm talking about 121 years behind us. And you see the hand of God. From 15 centuries, as you look all the way to the 1900s, if you study very carefully uh, uh, this situation, you're going to find... Interesting things here. Let me let me get to my to my notes just a moment. Uh, first, in the fifteen hundreds, you remember uh, the revival started with Martin Luther, salvation by faith alone, meaning repentance. In the seventeen hundreds, the mission trips, repentance. In the eighteen hundreds, intellect versus passion. You know, the Age of Enlightenment, you have the revival of Ken and McCullough, Macaulay. I've mentioned Macaulay to you. And regeneration, repentance, regeneration. And uh, and of course, the 1800s, the national conscious, forgiveness, change of direction. And of course, when you get to the 1800s, submission to the will of God. Uh, uh, how do you begin to see a thread... In, in this great revival in America, what's propelling? What is the first thing that happens? What is the common denominator in, in, the, in American life and all the revivals throughout the world? Number one is repentance. Notice that uh, the left, the far left, is suggesting that sexuality, it, it is bona fide and verified by two doctors from a university in the north of America that simply defined homosexuality. And so, meaning the justification of sin and not being sin is now in the hands of Methodist bishops, they have decided that this is not sin and this is sin. When in fact, uh, sin is, a, is something that the Holy Spirit convicts. And when there is no conviction, then there is no repentance. If there is no repentance, there is no kingdom. If there is no kingdom, the church is dying. So, how do, you, how do you define repentance? Feelings of contrition. Regret for past wrongs. And so, I want to before I move into the second factor. First one is repentance. I want to go to John chapter 3. And I want to explain to you one of the major passages that now is used by television pastors, especially the large ones. You know, the bigger the ministry is implying, the ones that will not read this passage Right. In other words, if you have $50 million in in gifts a year, you will ignore this. And uh, I'm not saying that that's the case overall, but I'm saying to you that among the traditional churches, there's a great movement to ostracize and to minimize the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look. Uh, it's, 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 it's in John chapter 3, verse 5-3. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a, a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, born of water speaks of natural birth, not baptism. Which Jesus, in the next verse, mentions. It pertains to a baby being born, being born of the Spirit. Speaks of spiritual birth, which is brought out about by God alone. And neither does it speaks of water baptism. It speaks about a baby being born. That which is born of flesh is flesh. It confirms verse 5. That which is born of flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, this scripture, John 3, 5 and 6, is the justification of the traditional churches as to baptism of the Spirit and baptism of the flesh. I don't know if I'm getting through this. It has to do with natural birth. Born of water is, that's to do with natural birth. Has nothing to do with baptism. Because the main traditionalist would say that after, after salvation, there's nothing else to wait for and hope for. Listen to me. What they're saying is that there's no way that after you've been saved, you can go forward into an encounter with the living God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you have grown-ups that know nothing about Scripture, superficially understand Scripture from all points of view. Their personal lives is embedded and in, in, in grind into bondage of all kinds. There's no development of faith and challenge uh, against sin. When there's no challenge against sin, and you minimize the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, John 16 is very clear. When the Holy Spirit has come, He'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And don't change that triune uh, ability of the Holy Spirit to do. When you put that in the trash, then you just become a nice Baptist, a nice Methodist. And what I'm saying to you today, that it's impossible for you to develop your faith. Listen. Notice the revival beginning with Martin Luther, salvation by faith alone. Look at the 1700s with John Wesley, which is really the father of, of, of the revival in America, per se. Uh, Spurgeon and, and Finney, a late evangelist. But the basic theology of is a Methodist theology. And that is why the Methodist church today is, is splitting in two, because they don't want to give the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that He has. Listen. How do you know that every person that you meet is a homosexual? How do you know that everybody that you meet is someone that has a problem in sexuality? How are you going to deal with it to bring repentance and healing and forgiveness? By just uh, being nice and smiling? You are then saying to me that this passage only refers to baptism as the final experience with God. I hope not. Because I was... (laughs) I hope not. So let's take a look at verse uh, at verse seven. Marvel, listen to me, Marvel, not that I say unto you, you must be born again. What do you mean, being born again? You must be. <laughs> you must understand that he said an N word. Now, let me give you a, a, a testimony. I heard a preacher in Athens, Georgia, uh, by the name of uh, Jerry Varnado. And Jerry Varnado simply says that that after he made peace with God and gave his heart to God, something drastic, phenomenal happened to him. He began to sense peace and sense joy and sense amounts of power and ability to, to forgive and forget the past. Are you telling me that that's the end of it. Listen. Being born of the Spirit means that you must have a confrontation with the living God and have the Lord to deal with your life. And so it goes, Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it listens and you hear the sound thereof but cannot tell from where it comes or where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. What it says is this, presents the way in which Jesus explains being born again. Experience. He likes it unto the wind, which comes and goes, but it's impossible to tell exactly how. I don't know how in the world I was changed when I had an experience with the Holy Spirit. I can't explain to you. Something happened within me that I can't put into words. But from that moment on, I became a new person. I used to be an active minority, and I'm a taxpayer. (laughs) I used to be a boy from Brazil. Now I'm an empowered Holy Spirit preacher. I used to be a rejected, tormented young man. And now I'm... You probably say, Rick, but you still have some of the some of the ramifications of that, you never get away with all of that out of your life, especially when you experience what I have experienced as, a, as an ethnic minority in the Methodist church. But I can tell you that 99% percent of my life I have spent in bringing people to Christ. So, does, does, does repentance is necessary? Yes, it is. And if you change the mathematics on this, you are sinning against the Holy Spirit. And I believe that uh, in North Georgia, there is a bishop who has sinned seriously against the Holy Spirit. Now, second, repentance for sins of the nation. You have to repent yourself, but then you have to repent for being in America, living in America today. Now, What are the sins of America? Well, the first one uh, uh, is abortion. Since Roe versus Wade has become law 48 years ago, there have been 60 million abortions in America. That's a sin, a corporate sin. We're killing children at, 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 at nine months in the womb. Are we supposed to ignore, not talk about it? Do we give the left the ability to do whatever they want? I think, I think, I think, when it involves 60 million children, we need to come to God and ask Him to re, to forgive us for being a part of it. I I would say that if you want abortion, you can have it somewhere else, uh, get away with it. I'm not going to stop you from having it. But don't use my tax money for it. Number two. Pornography. In 2017. This, this data comes from 2017. 2025 million views of videos of pornography in America. Eighty-nine companies spending billions of dollars to bring into your home living pornography. If that's not a sin against human sanctity in the body of a woman, I don't know what it is. And third, human trafficking. You have to repent. Atlanta is the hub for human trafficking in America. As we speak about open borders, human trafficking is just crossing the line into America by the thousands at this very moment, and we think that's political. And so number one: repentance. Number two, repent for the sins of America. Number three: you pray. You've got to pray. You got to pray. No, no, number three. Let me just go into the, number three. You have to confess your sins. So let me, me clarify my, 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 my details here. Number one, repentance. Number two, repent for the sins of the nation. Number three, confess your sins. Unconfessed sins leads to spiritual. Stagnation. First John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is just and faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so confession is very important. Take the cup, take the bread, and confess to God that you have sinned against Him. You do that as much as you eat every meal. Do it daily, daily before the Lord. The next is confess Christ publicly. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father who is in heaven. And so, confession is very important. Why? Because in America today, there's the idea put in by media especially, that simply says that you should not impose upon someone your faith. In other words, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. But by the laws of the First Amendment, I have the freedom to come through this channel and speak to you all over the world and say to you that Jesus Christ is Lord and He forgives sins if you confess your sins. So let me ask you this, just for just a moment. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name, if, My people who are called by My name shall humble themselves. What do you mean humble? You ask God to forgive you. You bow down and you say, God forgive me. I have sinned against you. You have to humble first and then you pray. Now we've been praying in RBM for for many years now. We're praying Every single morning for our families. Every single morning we pray for our our husbands or wives. We're praying for our children and grandchildren every single morning. We're seeking the face of God. And we are turning from our wicked ways. We are. We're asking God to forgive our sins. Then if we do that, God says, I will from heaven. What does that mean? It simply means that from heaven, God will speak to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come into us and convict us of our sin. Tell me, what is the left doing today? Tell me, the political left doing today. Are we in prayer? Are we humbling before God? Are we suppressing the churches? Are we suppressing salvation and healing? No. What we're doing is to tell people not to speak about your religion or your conviction in front of me. It's not allowed. Since when? Free speech is still a reality in America. And so if you don't confess Jesus Christ publicly, uh, He won't confess you to the Father in Heaven. Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal the land. So healing the land has to do with, with first of all, humbling ourselves, praying, seeking His faith. And then you hear from heaven, humbling ourselves, pray and seeking His faith. May the Lord bless you abundantly. And I hope that you'll be able to stay with us at RBM and continue to hear this channel All over the world, especially Brazil, and especially America, right now. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of God, I pray for salvation and repentance to everyone that is listening to me. Amen.
1: Estrela, alva,
0: brilhe em mim, brilhe a luz que é no meu viver. Estrela, alva, brilhe em mim, brilhe a luz que é no